Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We got to get down to business. This Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J Bonus Interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 in District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Friday, June 19th, 2020, Juneteenth Day. Of course, it could be any time. It's a bonus. You're listening to it. The headline in the tri- Tribune. How about this? Trump's DACA push blocked. Yeah, the Supreme Court finally got something right. Old John Roberts said, uh-uh, I'm not going to. I'm cynical about this one, folks. I just think it's political, and uh, they're worried about the, potent- the, the, the possibility that uh, – Hispanic voters, Latino voters will come out in huge force uh, if they don't do this. I got news for you guys. It's going to happen. Trump's going to go. Anyway. I'm not a doctor. Oh, thank you, Donald Trump, for that. I didn't really. But you're giving us advice like taking bleach. All right. uh, As I do with uh, every bonus episode, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce him or herself. We have two guests today. So I'm going to ask distinguished guest named Daniel (laughs) to introduce yourself. Go ahead. Hello, this is Alderman Daniel Laspada. Uh, people know me better as the one of three Italian American Alderman who doesn't think we need Columbus Day anymore. Um, but I'm very glad to be on the show, Ben. All right, very good. And my second distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Josana Rodriguez Sanchez. I am the alderman of the 33rd Ward. I am a brown Puerto Rican woman with a very thick accent. I'm very grateful of my white colleague that is standing against Columbus Day. <laughs> yeah, uh, Daniel, we've been talking about Columbus Day all week. We're not going to talk about the Columbus Day now. We're talking to fund the police. Uh, but we, that has been a big topic on our show this week, uh, Columbus Day, uh, the statue, and... Uh, my suggestions for other people. Uh, it seem, I think most people are in favor of uh, Mother Cabrini uh, to be honored. But whatever, we're not going to discuss that. Uh, why don't we start, um, I guess I'll start with you, Daniel. Talk about the uh, defund police movement and why uh, that's our topic of conversation, defund the police. We've been promoting the show all week, by the way. Uh, why, from a historical perspective, you think it's necessary at this time? Um, so on the historical, I might leave that to my esteemed colleague. I, I can say in this moment, it's necessary because we've, we've gotten to a place where we're giving our police department too much to do too many things that shouldn't be within their responsibility. Um, in terms of mental health, in terms of conflict resolution, in terms of domestic um, situations, our officers are put in situations that could much better be handled by other professionals. We also have a police budget that, as of today, is 
$1.778 billion. 40% out, out of every tax dollar paid by a Congo and goes directly to the police. And it's not producing the society we want to live in. And so I'm really glad to be a part of this movement right now. Uh, um, so I can I can speak a little bit about the historical. Um, well, the 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 movement to defund the police is deeply tied to the idea of abolition um, and the understanding that the police is a racist institution. Um, the understanding that when we look at the war on drugs and how almost everybody agrees that the war on drugs was a mistake and it didn't work, and how police departments were incredibly funded during that time and the police became this mm-hmm. uh, this massive institution, right? And we started taking money away from all of the things that people needed and putting it into policing. And we know that the way that that played out was that it was communities of color, particularly black communities, the one that were the most over-policed and that has ended with mass incarceration of black people. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the killing uh, the torturing um, and the, and a lot of harm to to particularly black people. We can see that their statistics right now say that one in one thousand black men are going to be killed by police or will die at the hands of police. Um, and when we think about the fact that that is the approach that we're using to safety, we have to contend with the fact that it is a racist approach. So as my colleague was saying, what we are saying, when we say this on the police, we're saying let's take those resources and put them into the lives of people so that we don't have to call the police on them, right? Let's, let's give people jobs. Let's, let's make sure that we have a social safety net, that right now with COVID, it was so evident that we didn't have a safety net. If you lost your job, well, good luck to you. So we need housing, we need jobs, we need mental health care. Mm-hmm. And we have seen how in other places there are responses to this, right? Uh, we have seen Eugene, Oregon, for example, has this Kahoot program that deals with crises around the, around the city, and they don't have to call police. They call this particular, um, particular line that gets somebody that can actually help, it be a behavioral health expert or somebody that can help with homelessness, so there are other ways to address safety. Um, we also know that nationally, 90 to 95% of calls that police receive are not for violent um, situations or incidents. I am working with the um, Inspector General's office to figure out how much of, poli- how much, uh, of the resources of policing in Chicago are going into violent incidents versus disturbances like loud noises, uh, fireworks, right? Mm. <laughs> the, the, the police respond to a lot of these things and we're wasting a lot of resources mm-hmm. and we're using in bettering the lives of people. Daniel, what are some of the more specific, uh, to, to pick up on what Rosanna was saying, what are some more of the specific elements of a defund the police program? We, we can really dig into it when you look at the police budget. So like I, I have a, I'm open to Page 167 in our big budget talks right now. Right now, this year, we have scheduled to pay $91 million in police overtime. This is about six times as much as we spend in violence prevention across the whole of the city. That is in no way reflective of both the moral conscience of the city or what our budget priorities are or what even works then at the end of the day for the safety and security of Chicago. It's the same thing when we look at 
what Chicago residents pay every year for police misconduct. Because listeners need to re- remember, it is their tax dollars right now that pay for police brutality. In 2018, that was over $100 million. For 2020, we had budgeted $82 million. For, we saying this out loud, for police misconduct. We can take those dollars. We can put them into what works in terms of mental health, in terms of programs like ALSO, which does violence prevention work in my community, groups like READI, R-E-A-D-I, that pair cognitive behavioral therapy with uh, jobs for those at risk of violence in their communities, data-driven programs that are proven to work. It's both about defunding, but it's also about reinvesting these dollars. You know, it's funny listening to you talk about police overtime. Uh, Rosanna, I've been following Chicago politics forever, and it seems as though uh, (laughs) every time we come to like a holiday in the summer, there's a push to send more uh, police out in the field, and that's where a lot of the overtime comes in. And then there's mm-hmm. a, a write-up in the newspaper, how many people were killed, how many people were shot. This is a ritual that I've lived through for all these years that I've been living in the city going back to the 80s. And it, 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 seems, right. it does seem to pick up on the point that Daniel was making, that we're sort of just continually doing the same thing over and over again mm-hmm. without results. Do you, do you see it that way as well? well we also, absolutely. But the other thing is that Chicago police solve a very little amount of crimes like whenever there are murders whenever there are um uh murder attempts like violent crimes Seattle police has a horrible record in terms of being able to solve those right Mm -hmm. um but then we see how police is being used lately we saw uh, a report i believe that it was in the chicago tribune um, that said that during the, the uprisings in Chicago, most of the people who were arrested were arrested actually for protesting and not because they were looting anything or they were stealing anything, right? It just seems like we continue to use police as this force that is supposed to prevent, that is supposed to keep people safe, but the people that are suffering the most are actually being harmed by, by policing. Um, during the, the uprisings, I had several friends that were severely beaten by police that were arrested. Um, people that were not doing anything, people that were just protesting. Um, so it, it just feels to me that the priorities are really upside down. Um, but not only that, we are engaging in serious damage to communities of color. And it just doesn't seem that there is a political will to get out of there, to, to look at a different kind of of, of a possibility, right? Um, I am I am alarmed that right now this conversation is being had in so many other cities, and Chicago, with the history of, of problems that we have had with police, um, that we're not even willing to engage in that conversation. And when I say, well, yeah, I'm talking about uh, about the mayor, uh, because many of us in city council are starting to have these conversations. I don't think that there is consensus around what it needs to be. But, but we're definitely starting to have some of these conversations, but the mayor seems absolutely um, opposed right. to, to having the conversation around this funding. We'll get to the mayor's role in this in a bit. And, but first I want to ask you, Rosanna, yeah. I'm going to re- <laughs> remind you of the, a conversation you and I had, uh, which I'm a little embarrassed to admit, but what the heck, I'm not going to conceal <laughs> history. 
So you came on the show and you were talking about defund the police. And I was like, you're never going to get elected to anything. Talking. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something, young lady. I know the game, okay? You're a rookie. And he was like, uh. <laughs> remember? Remember that conversation? You're never going to get That Mel's going to mop the floor with you. <laughs> All right, here's your well, moment. I, I was always honest. I was definitely honest in my campaign. I, I was honest the whole time. That is <laughs> correct. Volsana is like a Puerto Rican Robert F. Kennedy. He sees the world as it has never been and says, why not? Yeah. Like, I, I really appreciate that about her imagination. It's so All right, so let's. Uh, so I, I can see that you were right and I was wrong, at least in that particular uh, election. Going forward, you know, what's your advice to uh, some of your aldermanic colleagues or some even the state reps, uh, other elected officials who are very cautious about looking as though they're weak on crime? They're afraid. You know, that is, that is such a great question um, because I, I know that there are a lot of differences between me and people who run for office. I was elected as a socialist. Um, and as a socialist, I see my role to put for the vote that we can possibly get in terms of uh, advancing to a society as a society that I imagine, right? And I feel like the fight to defund the police and, and, and make sure that we have the resources that we need to fund our lives is absolutely a part of, of, of my vision as a socialist. Um, I think that we need to start being honest about, about, about the reality and how we see it. I think that if we are actually about transformation, we have to listen to movement. There's people in the streets, and there have been people in the streets in the last three weeks that have been that uh, they have been out there protesting during a pandemic because they know how important this is. Because we have been ignoring black people, we have been ignoring black uh, black fight, right, and black struggle. Abolitionists have been always among black people, and they have been talking about these things. This is not something that we invented. This this has been fought for for a very long time, and now we have a window to talk about this, and we have to push hard if we want to get anything meaningful. So what I would say to people who have close to our ideas, this is not the time to be scared. This is not the time to... This is not the time to. This is the time to push, right? This is the, t- the time to to make sure that we're having these conversations and that we push as far as we can possibly get. And one more thing before you tell me to stop, I think that also as elected, the people who are in office right now can also not be scared of losing their seats. This is a moment when um, when we still have three years left on our seats. And we cannot spend those three years being scared and, and thinking, oh, my God, like, I can't say this or I can't say that because I might not win. If we have three good years of this and we're able to build movement and we're able to, to be righteous and get wins, then we are going to continue being able to do that. But we can hide from, from reality and from what we actually believe, right? That is very well put. Daniel? Well, I think at some point, like Democrats, and I, I get this. They, they were coming out in the 80s. They were really tired of losing. Uh, but somehow folks got into their heads that they needed to be hard on crime um, to win elections. Uh, we need to change what that message is. Today's progressives, today's socialists, if there's something we want to be strong on, we want to be strong on peace and stability for all of Chicago's communities. 
And this is not just about being righteous, it's about being effective, it's about doing what actually works, reinvesting in the things that work to keep people's lives stable and peaceful. Um, that I, I know we're talking today about how you actually frame this, and it doesn't change what we're doing, but it changes how it rings in people's ears. Um, but the same as um, of Rosanna, like I, I did not spend night after night in 20-degree weather to not lead with boldness and with integrity. Um, I would have asked too much sacrifice from too many people if I would just come in here and keep the status quo going and keep our budget going until the police budget reaches $2 billion, $2.2.5 billion, wherever it's headed on its current trajectory. I, I do not believe that that was what I was elected to do. All right, uh, let's get into the messaging issue. Uh, during the, I think it was a council debate, and I'm getting everything's mixed up. I think it was Napolitano, the alderman of the 41st Ward, said something along the lines. We'll start with you, Daniel, Laguna Rosanna, for a response to this. Uh, if, if, if they want to give up their police, I'll come take them, and I'll put them on my community, because I know my, uh, people where I live would want police, something like that. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> his uh, that was his response to the defund police movement. And um, so how do, you, how do you respond to that, uh, Daniel? You know, the, many people are f- afraid there's that defund the police Ooh, I'm, that's certainly it, it can ring oddly in a lot of ears here's the thing you and Ben it's no secret to our listeners that we are white men uh, there's never been a moment in our lives when the police didn't exist to protect us mm-hmm. the majority of Chicagoans have not had that experience with the police when they say defund the police, it doesn't come out because it was media tested. It's because they have experienced the police as a racist and oppressive institution. That, that is where it comes out. Of. And um, I think my colleague, Napolitano, unfortunately, he misunderstands the purpose. So let's, let's even think of it from a moment of, like, investment. If I was investing from, for my retirement, and I said, I want to have a stable retirement. I'm going to put every dollar I have into Facebook. Nobody invests all of their dollars in one thing. How is it that we have said we want to invest $1.7 billion in a safe Chicago, and we said we're going to put it all in policing? This is not a movement that says we don't want a safe and stable Chicago, but we are rightfully questioning, particularly in the light of the evidence, why we're putting $1.8 billion into something which, as you pointed out earlier, has proven that it's, it's never going to work on the level that we want it. As my colleague Alderman Napolitano proposed in his resolution, he's saying we are going to take all the police from all the aldermen that don't want them and will reallocate those resources. We're not advocating for that. We want the resources that our communities need instead of policing. So you're not taking the police and not giving me anything. <laughs> so we need, we need to make sure that we're putting the structures in place that are going to replace the approach that we're taking right now with the only thing that we have, as we know, is policing. So we, we need to make sure that we are creating a transition period where we are making sure that the structures are in, are in place and the resources are in the places that they need to be, such as with housing, jobs, 
mental health and all of the all of the things that benefit uh, people. So I thought that Napolitano actually um, made it. I thought that that resolution was actually a really bad joke um, that that makes fun of the of the very serious demand that people have right now who are protesting on the streets. It, it makes fun of a, of a of an important demand of the move, movement, which is to fund the police. And I don't want to dilute that message. I think that that is the message that we need to be putting out right now. Rosanna, do you... Oh, because, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yes. Finish your well, thought. Well, one, of the things, well, one, of, one of the things about this fund that I particularly appreciate is that when you talk about this funding, it needs to be meaningful, right? I'm not talking about divesting $50 million out of $1.8 billion. I'm talking about actually digging in there and getting... A lot of resources from policing that is meaningful because it's not just about funding these other services. Yes, it is a lot about that, but it's also about dismantling an institution that has been harming our people for, for throughout history, right? So I think it's both things, and I don't want to dilute that message. I think that that message needs to get out there and that we need to continue educating people about it. Do you have any private conversations with some of the aldermen who disagree with you? Uh, where people are really honest with one another and they express exactly uh, the kind of pressures they're up against, or is there no kind of, you know, across the aisle conversation of that kind? You know what I'm saying? Where, where people who, di- yeah, I, yeah, we we have been having conversations in the Progressive Caucus, and definitely we're not all on the same page. I mean, the Progressive Caucus is sort of a big tent, and there's people. Um, who are not even talking about defunding and are talking more about reform. And then there are people that are, you know, talking about a different framework and divestment. And then there are some of us that are like, no, we need to defund it. So I think um, I think it is important to have all of those kind of, um, well, I, I think it is good that there are some of us that are pushing um, with bold and transformative agendas that can inform the conversation and move it to the left because, uh, we didn't have this before. Carlos was there alone. Yeah, Carlos <laughs> so Rosa, thirty fifth ward, the dean of the socialists. I love when they call him the dean. Like he's like some oh old guy. <laughs> Dean, Dean means that he is the, the longest serving person. So and, that, that's why he's called the Dean, because and, he's been there for the longest. And let me just say this. He only been in there for one term. It's not like he's Grandma <laughs> Moses, okay? I mean uh <laughs> <laughs> Carlos and is a baby think, compared to me. I think he's actually the youngest of all of us as well. Yeah, the dean. Do you guys got to call him dean? <laughs> that's that's no, the person who calls it that. None of us has ever called him that, and he has never called himself. <laughs> but but the press has been saying that, and for some reason people use it. I, I we know. don't know. I don't know. It's funny. It cracks me up. No, but. Go ahead, Daniel. Ben, I think your question is the right one. Like, I have talked to other colleagues, even outside of the Progressive Caucus on this, who, like, based on their constituencies, based on their, um, like, political backgrounds, and uh, they're, they're uncomfortable with the phrasing, even if they understand the righteousness and even the effectiveness of what we're talking about. I really do believe that come budget season, as we plan for 2021, you're going to see a much more uh, robust and I would argue effective conversation around this than perhaps not only the public, but perhaps even the mayor is anticipating. All right. Well, uh, let's get to that. The mayor, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot has said no. Kind of caught me off guard that she said no uh, in the midst of where we're at right now. So soon 
after uh, George Floyd's murder. So, Daniel, did it catch you off guard? And what's your sort of general reaction to the mayor of the city of Chicago saying no to de- defunding the police? I mean, listen, like I've been here doing this for a year now. If that caught me off guard, I would say I had not been paying attention to the way Chicago's government is functioning right now. That's the most polite way I can put it. Um, but I would say, like, I, I think she is perhaps ignoring her own self-interest in this. All of us want a safe and secure and stable and peaceful Chicago. The mayor has said that she wants to end poverty in a generation. She wants to end violence in this city. We are not going to do that by continuing to replicate the same old broken budgets that we have. We need to think differently. We need to think differently and spend differently and invest differently if we're going to get to the kind of Chicago that she has said that she wants to build. We have to have the guts to create a new narrative for this city. And so, like, if it's going to take more protests or more marches or whatever political will it's going to take, then so be it. But we cannot keep going down this old road. No one is served by it. Rosetta? Um, I agree. I agree with Daniel. I, uh, I, I didn't, it definitely didn't catch me by surprise her saying that she wouldn't um, engage with that conversation. I was disappointed uh, because I have seen you know, a lot of other cities discussing this. I think um, that it's just going to take a lot of pressure um, on the mayor and in other on other aldermen to um, to come to the table and, and talk about this because it's a necessary conversation. I've been doing a survey in my ward that is open right now, and a lot of people have participated, not only from my ward, but from other parts of the city. Um, we started it a few days ago. We have had uh, probably like 570 600 people have participated and of all those all, all those 600 people we have 75 percent of people that want to defund the police i know that's not a really big sample i have 55,000 people in my ward although not all, all of them are you know able to um to to participate but um but i feel like there is a lot of reception right now for for these kind of ideas and as, as electors, we need to be listening to the people and we need to at least be having the conversations. Um, so it is a shame that she's not willing to engage with it. I really hope that with pressure, she will she will do that. When you say pressure, uh, what exact kind of pressure are you talking about? Continue protests in the street? I'm talking about movement. I'm talking about people. People are getting really organized, right? We had uprisings in Chicago that were very spontaneous, but from those uprisings, we are seeing a lot of people getting organized and a lot of solidarity between black and brown people. Um, so I expect that there's going to actually be a movement that is going to demand uh, the defunding of the police and the funding of our lives. And and we know what that looks like, right? Like we have seen that before. We saw it with No Cop Academy. We we saw it during the the teacher strike. How you know public opinion was with the teachers, and and the mayor ended up having to um, to give up on on some of those fights and and concede uh, some demands to the teachers. So I'm hoping that that we are as, as elected, we are going to be able to support the the building of those movements. 
and, and bringing those demands into city council and, and be able to have those conversations. Daniel? I mean, I would add to that, like, we all, we all need people to make us uncomfortable from time to time, to really agitate us. I had the development of the first ward yesterday that people sure as hell made me feel uncomfortable about. They were demanding better in terms of affordability. And let me tell you that that un- uncomfortability gave me some genuinely sleepless nights. But it, at the end of the day, it made for a better development and it made me a better alderman. Uh, I don't know what the tactics need to be, but I think all of us, particularly those who have not been able to get on board with this work and this movement, need to be made uncomfortable until they're ready to act. Uh, because if Chicago ends up the only major city in America that does not come out of this with meaningful, substantial reform, it will say a tremendously sad thing about this city and its leadership. I don't. I think this is obviously bigger than Chicago, um, and I'm not mm-hmm. certain that the Democratic Party and both of you. Well, wait, no, Rosanna, you're not the ward committee, so I take that back. Um, Thank you. Yes. <laughs> not my problem. I was about meeting Rosanna. Uh, yes, uh, I think it's Iris Martinez in your ward. Am I correct on that? Yes. Give me credit for knowing that. That, that I knew the committeeman of the thirty third war. Let's just let that. Good job. Um, But I do not see Joe Joe Biden being a willing advocate of this movement. I almost feel as though Joe Biden would be telling the two of you, if he had you in a room, hey, could you go a little quieter in this defund the, the police thing? Could you just, <laughs> you know, wait till after November? I just, can you just shut up for a little bit? Because you know Donald Trump, I mean, he's going to give a speech tomorrow in Tulsa, Oklahoma, as we're having this conversation on a Friday. This, uh, yep. By the time folks hear this show, he will have delivered that speech. I guarantee Rosanna, he is going to be blasting uh, weak on crime, soft on crime, hate police hating Democrats. I guarantee you he's going to throw that out there and it's going to put Joe Biden on the defensive. And this is the political game that you were confronting uh, when I told you you can't possibly win uh, talking about defunding (laughs) the police. Uh, So you see what I'm saying? That this is bigger yeah, than absolutely. Chicago. The thing, the thing is that I think the thing is that we already did that, right? Like we we have to at some point change the narrative and be bold enough to take that narrative and call things for what they are. We did that with the war on drugs. We already did that, and yeah. it did not work. <laughs> so yeah. we need to so we need to learn from history and from the mistakes that we make, and we we can talk about that, and we can talk about what the approach. To be the Kerner Commission was founded in the '60s and told um, and told the president exactly what needed to happen in order for violence to go down. But they chose to continue to inflate policing. So I, we we can be honest if we choose to, right? Um, I, and that's what I'm going to continue to do um, with 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 these years that I have left. Before I go to Daniel, ask for his response. What do individual police say to you? Rosanna, what are, what are the, like, if you have a co- conversation with individual cops. Can you repeat that? Can you repeat that? Part? What do in, individual police officers that you see in your ward or downtown, uh-huh. what do they say to you about this issue? 
You know, I haven't had the chance to have a lot of conversations with police yet. I do know several officers in the 17th district, for example, that I work with in CAPS. That I feel like those officers could be social workers, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, but but then I know that you know the Chicago police also is able is is um is able to vote for Cataranza to represent them as the president of the union, right? Yeah. So, um, so. Uh, I, I am willing to have those conversations with police. Um, I think that there are people that are aware of of, of, the, of how much we need a social safety net um, in order to reduce violence. I have had that, those conversations with some officers. Daniel? Yeah, like I, I know the narratives that are probably going to be thrown out by Donald Trump tomorrow. The whole police hating piece of this there's there's no truth to that like i i really i have a deep respect and i would like to think i have a good working relationship with the four different districts that i have in the first ward particularly the 14th and the 12th um i remember i will share the story going to someone's door and this was during my campaign and this person said the most important thing you can do for the city is to back up our police to support the police and I said to him, what, one of the best, best things I can do to support the officers is to stabilize the communities that they're going out to serve. These officers, many of whom I respect, it is a disservice to them to stand by for the poverty and the disinvestment in the communities that they're going out to. Yeah. Um, like Rafana and I share a lot of the 14th district together. If we could replace every other um, officer, like Frank, I'll be frank, like with a a social worker or a mental health clinician or substance abuse counselor, we are making the jobs easier of those officers because we're stabilizing those communities. Um, I, I hope that's a conversation that I get to have with Commander Chung and Commander Roman in the near term. I don't think they'll fully agree, but like I I think we have enough respect for each other that we can have that conversation. All right. We'll close with this. What is literally next, uh, the next move that uh, you and your colleagues can make on this front uh, to sort of push this issue in Chicago? What would be the next move? Um, I, I would say, like, we are probably approaching too late in the year to do a budget amendment for the 2020 budget. Yeah. I think it's really about how we approach the 2021 budget. And I, I will say to you, one thing that I learned from last year is August, is essentially, if the budget is a cake, it's already going into the oven in August. Yeah. So now is the time for us to really be peeling back the layers of this and trying to discern where we can cut from to really reinvest. Again, like to your listeners, this is about divesting from one thing to reinvest in more like effective and equitable and just solutions. To go through the budget so that we can say, come August, here's where we believe we can divest, here's where we want to invest it. Uh, for a moment, like I was talking about the pieces of the police budget that's called the Bureau of Patrol Services. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, there's $90 million that is spent before 
a single officer hits the street. That, that administrative space, that might be the space where we most effectively can redistribute these resources. That might be a good space to start in. Yeah. Well, I think your point is a very good one uh, that about a budget being like a cake and the cake's already going into the oven. And I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, if this movement has legs, if it continues, uh, we'll be hearing a lot about this at budget season, which would be October, uh, November. And I'm going to make a prediction. The leaders in the Democratic Party are going to be quietly calling you going, can't get you lower it down. We got an election to win. So uh, we'll see how all this unfolds. Appreciate both of you for coming on the show. Stay safe. That's another bonus show on the Ben Jarofsky Show.